0: Welcome to Embodied Astrology, Carlin.
1: Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm so excited for you to be here, too. I feel like we've been having really interesting astrology conversations for, I think it's almost two years now. Wow. Um, so yeah, it feels like, yay, you're finally on the podcast. <laughs>
1: I know, I feel like I've come, um, it's so weird because I feel like it's so serendipitous and I feel like I've come full circle. Um, Because I remember when I was like, just like a listener and I was like, oh my gosh, I love Renee's podcast. Um, I love the way that she talks about um, astrology. I love the way that, um, and I have, you know, I've told you this before too, about how I really appreciate that I feel like folks no matter what level they are, can really engage and with the way that you teach. Because you're like, you pause and you're like, this is what this means. And this is what this is. And this is what a trying is. And if something is this, um and I was like, okay, yeah, this feels really nice because I'm not feeling overwhelmed um, when I listen. And now here I am um, on the podcast.
0: <laughs> here you are. Yeah. And I feel... um. I've always felt so excited in our astrology conversations because of what you bring in, and you have such an easy and intuitive, and I know you're a tarot reader and you're a witch, and like you have a big, symbolic, magical vocabulary yeah. to draw on. Yeah. Um, but in you know, in the way that I personally want to engage with astrology, which is in some ways to fuck with it, you know, I'm like, okay, what are the stories that are being told? Why? What what stories do I want to tell? Like, what does this make me think of, you know? And mm-hmm. how do I queer this space and uh, shapeshift inside of it? And I feel like you and I are very resonant in that way. Like, maybe both of us are kind of trickstery, mischievous. Um, what's that word? Devil's advocates, you know, where it's like, well, you know, even, just, even we, provocateurs. Provocateurs. Yes, I feel like maybe we both have a little bit of a touch of provocateur. Do you resonate with that?
1: Absolutely. So it's so funny that sh- um that you say that because when I was a I feel like I also have lived like a thousand lives. I have literally I've worked so many different jobs. I have so many different skill sets. Um, so but I was an intern um at my alma mater um. I was an intern in Life Lab and that was one of the things that we did was we did like a what is your superpower and that was the superpower I got was provocateur
0: Mm -hmm. um
1: and I was like oh I never I was like I never really thought about myself as a provocateur but I think that that actually does accurately describe like the type of um, presence that I have is you know asking certain questions and you know wondering some of the things that you're saying is like is that really what it is are we really saying the things that we think that we're saying is this really doing the things that we say that it's doing is this actually the best way to talk about think about or interpret this thing and that is mm-hmm. like that does provoke um questions so yes
0: <laughs> we were before we hit record we were talking about we were just checking in and you were telling me about one of your natal placements you have mercury Square to Mars and Mercury is in Capricorn. It's very close to your Capricorn ascendant, your Capricorn stellium. And then you have Mars and Aries in the third house of communication. And um, what what was the language that we used? It was like, oh, yeah, I could see how this could be confrontational or
1: come across as force.
0: That's what it was. Yeah, no, I said
1: said authoritative. (laughs) I was saying that I feel like my. um, So yeah, we were, when we were off mic, um, we were taught, I was telling Renee about how one of the things that I struggle with is um folks like I feel like a lot of people sometimes like misinterpret um the way that I'm communicating things even when I try to even if I feel like I'm articulating things clearly or even if I feel like I've done the work to like try to make things like land softly that sometimes it still comes off authoritative that like um folks may feel like, oh, Carlin is saying this thing is true, or this is the way that this thing is, um, and how that can be like can be tricky to navigate in specifically in interpersonal um, relationships. There are times, you know, professionally or when I am um, doing some of my scholarly work, where I'm like, yes, this authoritative voice like is useful, um, but it does make trouble for me sometimes. In um, interpersonal interactions with people, because folks again may feel like I'm being forceful or domineering, even um, with my communication, and like that may not that may not be my intention. But that is like I think that that's sometimes how that resonates.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure, and from a embodied astrology, you know, perspective, when I feel into that aspect in my own body, like I feel the integrity and the structure and the strength of Capricorn, you know, in the bones and just really connecting to what feels so grounded. And then this fiery laser focus of Mars and Aries coming out in the third house. And that that's embodied clarity for you when you're communicating. And it's not necessarily a fact, you know, or a a attempt to be domineering or authoritative. It's just a clear channeling of what's coming through your vessel in that moment. It's like, yeah, yeah. And I actually really resonate with that in my own chart and our charts are, are quite different, but we're both, uh, sun rising in the same sign. And so you're way more than a double Capricorn. You have five planetary placements plus your ascendant. Okay. So you're yes. in sun, Saturn, Neptune, Mercury, ascendant Capricorn.
1: Yeah.
0: It was just a little Capricorn. Just, just a touch. Just, you know, <laughs> just, just, just a bit. <laughs>
1: And that um, is, and, and I, I feel like that, that also adds to the intensity of oh, just, sure. like my being. Um, So yeah. even when I don't feel like I'm being intense, other people are like, bitch, like chill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. And I'm a double Leo. I'm a sun, sun on the ascendant as Leo. And then my Leo is square to a Taurus moon. And so I too <laughs> have a kind of intensity and um a a bold opinionatedness at times and yeah what you were sharing about how people can interpret your communication I resonate with a lot and I was thinking how so many of my closest friends and people who I just have a really natural rapport with are Capricorns or like they have strong Capricorn energy in their chart and Leo and Capricorn astrologically are considered to be an aversion of one another, at least in traditional astrology because they're in conjunct. But, and I certainly can feel how sometimes Leo Capricorn is a little oil and water, but then there's also this natural dignity that both signs have and this natural authoritativeness or boldness, you know, that isn't necessarily wanting to be domineering or hierarchical or bossy or something like that. It's just how we are. And so I do have this feeling with a lot of Capricorn folks. I certainly have this feeling with you where I'm like, oh, we can play, you know, like, oh, Carla's going to be like that. Cool. Like, (laughs) you know, I feel like our conversations then become very vibrant and excited.
1: Yeah, I think, too, you know, um, I feel like one of the things that I have encountered specifically is like how people like, how I trigger um, people feeling intimidated, and I think that the piece of intimidation comes from the way, the the methodical way in which I'm able to recount, like, vast amounts of things, but I'm like, but that's, like, that's, like, super, like, the Saturnian energy, right, like, Saturn, or so the way that I kind of think about, um, the planets and like how they imbue their energy on us is like where they are in space mm-hmm. right also speaks to how they view material stuff if that makes sense so like the outer planets are further away so they like they move they move slower um I'm using air quotes because I'm like you do
0: <laughs> they move
1: slower in like in the way that we kind of conceptualize right time as like humans but like they move the way that they move um but then like they are further away and so their vantage point is different and they they can see more right because they're further away from earth they can see more of the planets they can they have like a different perspective um and so because i'm so i'm so saturn happy um I'm so I, I truly am capricorn right um i just think that 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 um tr- when i'm recounting things for folks that translates to people they feel like oh how are you holding all mm. of this stuff <laughs> and mm. then also able to like what what i think may appear to folks so easily able to recount those things um but like what they didn't see is the process that I have gone through in order to like create right the structure that I then you know have categorized things and figured out how to recall things and have figured out how to then articulate things in a way that feels digestible to people and have taken feedback and like shifted in this and the 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 things that I have observed from other people right so like they didn't see the process it's sort of they didn't see like the process of how I got to this place they just see like the final product. And then they're Ooh. like, oh, wow, like, I can't do that. Um, but I'm like, you could.
0: Right. It would just look
1: different for you, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely have had to engage with that where folks are like, where people have like told me um, and people that I'm in community with were like, on one hand, I have felt intimidated by you because. You have mm. done so much stuff and the way that you just feel, you feel very organized and put together and the way that you're even able to take these gigantic concepts, you know, these gigantic concepts and synthesize them for like, but then I also know you as a person and I know that you're not intimidating or mean or like gatekeepy or anything like that, but like, that is the thing that I trigger in people is mm. they are, Folks are either like you, or you're like, oh, okay, like I <laughs> see Carmen is someone that I can have these kind of like fun, mm-hmm. bath conversations with. And then there are other folks that are like, ooh, this is like, this feels overwhelming.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I resonate with that too. I feel like um, that's been something that I've encountered as well and people's perceptions or projections. And um, when you were just talking, I was also because I have your chart up and I was looking at Scorpio in your chart which is right on the midheaven and so it's this public presentation you know and where you as a person are most visible in the world Mm -hmm. and your Pluto and Scorpio generation um, but I feel like the way that Scorpio and Capricorn can interact especially with your Pluto and Mercury being sextile to one another there is this deep archival memory you know and both Scorpio and Capricorn hold on to the past like they know what (laughs) has happened they catalog it they pay attention they may not need to you know it's like those energies aren't necessarily every single time they're noticing something saying something but if enough accumulates if that residue builds to become a thing then it's a fucking thing. And they will tell you why, and they will tell you when, and they will tell you how, because it's there, right? (laughs) And it's like, like both of those signs aren't, they're not, they're no Sagittarians, right? Like they're not bursting out of the gates to be like, listen, I got an idea. They're like, okay, here's a notion. Let me see if this is true. Like, I'm just gonna bide my time. Let me see if it happens again. Oh, hmm, it happened a second time, could be a coincidence. Let's give it yes. a little bit more time, right? Yes.
1: I laugh. I, I laughed because um yeah, that was one of the things at my my university I was known for was reading people and having receipts. And I think that like, <laughs> you know, you absolutely named that. I wouldn't, I would pay attention. Yeah, I would just pay attention. I'm like, okay, I'm noting that. Oh, this thing happened. Oh, this thing happened. Again, this thing happened over there. You said this, but you did this. I'm filing it away, and um, people don't always like that, right? Um, and it it has again been something that I have struggled with both interpersonally because, like, I think that sometimes people feel like I weaponize that against them, or like they feel again intimidated mm-hmm. by like, like, oh my god, Karen's gonna remember every fucking thing that I did, and I'm just like, well, yes. But like, not, <laughs> but I'm like, but not in a bad way, because for me, the way that it it is, I just, I find it interesting, right? I'm like, oh, this is interesting that this, you know, that, these, that there's this pattern or that this thing is happening. And like, oh, maybe folks don't see this, that this thing is happening. So like, I'm going to bring it I, to your attention in a way, you know, sometimes I am just like, Sometimes it is in a way that is confrontational, right? Um, when it is, when I have dealt with like institutions specifically, I'm like, it is confrontational. I'm like, here's the receipt on why mm-hmm. you're not doing the things that you say that you are. Um, I also have used it with confrontationally in institutions where I'm like, here's how y'all have me fucked up. Um, and then for though, within interpersonal relationships, because, and I remember you and I actually had this conversation about my um, my Cancer Moon in my seventh house. About you were like, you have the capacity for a lot, like for huge amounts of like holding emotional stuff for people. The way mm-hmm. that that sometimes resonates for me, though, is and because again, it's in my seventh house, right? Uh, is that I try to reflect things back to folks where I'm like, oh. You have talked. you keep pouring, pouring, pouring into me about these things. Here's, I've sifted through the stuff here. I'm like, here's the mirror. Here are the patterns. Um, Here are the things that I, you know, you have said that you wanted to be this thing. You wanted to be this way. You wanted to do these things. Here's the stuff that's stopping you from doing that. And like, sometimes people, they don't want it. Right. They don't want it.
0: <laughs> right. So like,
1: folks are like, I don't, I didn't ask for all of that. I didn't ask for you to keep record of everything right but I'm like but that's just kind of right that's how I work though.
0: yeah yeah that's interesting I mean I feel like our knowing of each other has really existed in some ways you know very much on a professional astrological plane so I don't have a intimate interpersonal knowing of you but that quality that you're talking about I definitely feel in you and when I feel it, I feel it as very deeply a love language that is about accountability and growth, Mm -hmm. you know, and that you, you do hold a lot and you hold a lot of capacity for critical reflection as love. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I feel like that isn't uplifted enough as a love language, but as a Venus in Virgo person, like, that resonates a lot for me because I think that honest, careful, and specific feedback is so helpful. You know, it's, and it's, it's so generous, like for someone to take the time to reflect, Hey, you said that you wanted to do this, but then I saw you do that. And then you did this the next day. And then, you know, to like have that kind of generosity to give you that feedback because we all know that we can't see our own asses. You know, it's like there are (laughs) certain perspectives that we're never gonna be able to have as long as we're contained in our corporeal forms. And it takes a kind of chutzpah, right? Like to give someone some feedback and a a lot of us are socialized to feel timid and skittish and like we don't have a culture of healthy feedback and reflection and so, yeah, I've always felt like that way of being that you bring, even you know, even when you're forceful and critical around the institution, it's like you're there because you love. Like you're there because you see the possibility. Like you're there because you want growth, and you're lending support to that. And in my opinion, that is um, a very deep and significant love language. So I thank you for your service.
1: Thank you. No, thank you for that, and thank you for naming that. I think that uh, I absolutely agree that uh, that accountability is a piece of loving people, and that we don't because, like you said, we don't. We live in a culture that doesn't believe in being accountable, right? Or like has bastardized what accountability looks like. We live in a we live in a carceral punitive society. And so that I think that oftentimes people then associate being accountable with being punitive. And I feel like I have done a lot of the work to try to unlearn um, that. Because I absolutely, like when I was younger, yes, like that was my framework, right? Because we live in a society. Um, So I was like, oh, being accountable to people or like being accountable is punitive, like is like very punishing punishing. So like, absolutely that was how that used to manifest for me because I didn't know better. But now that I know better, I do, I feel like I have shifted. Like, what does accountability look like? And then also feel like I have a responsibility in showing up for that, right? Like I can't ask for people to, I, th- I think it's irresponsible for me to be like, here's the thing that I noticed about you that you struggle with. And then just being like, okay, good luck. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, I'm like, like that's not that's also not accountable on my part and that's not very loving or supporting um so I feel like whenever I do offer critiques of things um particularly interpersonally I feel like um that I'm clear about like and here, the of my willingness to support like creating that thing right um, if that's what folks want, because sometimes people don't want it, right? And like, that's okay, too. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. accountability I, is absolutely a part of um, being in a loving, respectful, reciprocal relationship. And like you said, I don't think that we, we don't know what that looks like, because so often we don't experience that, right? Because we live in a, we live in a society that is, that is unfortunately individualistic, Um that is antagonistic that and then is exploitative, right? Um, so yeah, in order to be accountable too, we have to be vulnerable and we don't we don't live in a, a society that creates a lot of space for people to be consistently vulnerable. Because a lot of us are scared that like someone is going to like harm us or take advantage of us. And like those fears are rooted in like very real
0: things. Totally, totally. And to your point, you know, I think that um, culturally there has been such a, um, yeah, strong imprint of punishment delivered for f- failure or mistakes or um, vulnerability or need, you know, and that in this society of uh, supremacists, white supremacists, misogynist individualism, if... If you're a human being and therefore natural, which means you need things, <laughs> you don't always want to work, you know there there are mistakes that happen. there are learning moments, there's growth. Um, then that's met with punishment, and that our lives are uh, shaped in so many ways around fear of punishment. And so when feedback is then forthcoming, um yeah, I think it's a very like deeply ingrained response for a lot of folks to clench, you know, and to get defensive and um it takes so much willingness to sit through that and to be with that on either side, you know, and um yeah, I really admire the um, good humor that you <laughs> that you bring to your work. Um and it that also feels like a maybe a moment to mention our Series that we're teaching together. Um, yeah. coming up, Astrology and Activism. Um, what's our subtitle? Ascension and Evolution through the Aries Eclipses. That sounds right. Yeah. I'm just gonna say yes.
1: <laughs> <'Cause> I... <laughs> <Long title.
0: laughs> I'm like, yes, that sounds yes. <laughs> uh, I've just been writing astrology and activism, and I'm forgetting the subtitle, but we're working with the uh, first of two and a half years of Aries eclipses is going to happen on, um, April 19th at the very last degree of Aries. And leading up to that, we have five classes over the course of, uh, five weeks on Tuesdays on Mars day through Aries season. We're going to focus on astrology and activism. And, um, yeah, I'm wondering, since we're talking about this love language of yours and your capacity for, uh, working with accountability and working with processes of accountability. um, I know that this is certainly one part of your activism, but yeah, I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about how you engage with activism, how you feel activated, what you are activating in your life and yeah, any themes that kind of sprout out of that for you?
1: That's a great question. Thank you for that question. I think that, you know, it's, uh, and it's so funny because I'm going to do the thing. So uh, so context for folks who are listening. Um, when Renee and I, again, were off mic with each other, I was making a joke about how when I talk about things, I'm like, here's the context. 500 years ago, this thing happened. <laughs> and then um, and so I'm about to do that right now. Um, so I think that the types of activism that I have found myself doing which are around, which are like very communal, which are very about like, how do we empower ourselves to then help other people be empowered? Um, It's very one much in relation to my first and seventh, right? So my Aries, Libra, Axis, my moon is in my seventh house. So um, that to me talks about like, who am I in relationship with? And like, how do I want to be in relationship with people? I want to be in relationship um, or like, or this idea of being like very communal, very nurturing, thinking about like, how do we make things good for everyone, right? Um, the, so my idea of doing communal work began with my family, right? Um, and the way that even I was raised. So my mother was a single parent. I was raised in a matriarchal family. So I was raised by Black women. So my, you know, my my nana, my great grandmother, my auntie, um, but they were very, they were, you know, southern black women, so they were like very in the church. Um, they are like, you know, praying black women, prayer circles. We believe in God, the Bible. My great grandmother still talks about how the Lord has been good to us, and I love that that piece of tradition of like being communal, having this structure. But there's some, you know, there's things that come with the church, um, like patriarchy and homophobia and racism. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things I appreciate about my mother is she was like, there are things that y'all are doing that are good. And there are also things that you're doing that need to be different. And she made a conscious decision to be empowered and to also empower me as a young child. So we talk a lot about how my ability to feel like and be myself started with my mom honoring the autonomy that I had as a child. And so like the idea of things, this should be, this is what it should be like for everyone really started at home with my mother and her making the conscious decision to respect, honor, and pour into the autonomy that i had as a child as a kid like i was like little little carlin Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. was able to have an opinion was opinion was validated opinion was affirmed autonomy was affirmed boundaries were affirmed by my mother right so Mm -hmm. like obviously growing up as like a little black child in a white supremacist homophobic uh, patriarchal society. There were all of uh, there were all of these other places and ways that like my autonomy was taken from me. um But at home with my mother, my autonomy was always affirmed, and the the feeling that I have the right to affirm and assert my autonomy when it's being disrespected in other places also was affirmed by my mom. So, and that's I feel like that that is the work that I do is I like. We people deserve nice things, people deserve to be treated with dignity, people deserve to be happy, people deserve access to resources, people shouldn't have to struggle. Um, people deserve to be affirmed in who they are, is really at the root of the work all of the work that I have done. Um, and I've done all kinds of different work. I started out as like a doing um access to higher education when I was a part of my student government, I was a part of the Student Senate for California Community Colleges, um, so we advocated for access to higher education. Then when I moved to Arizona, I was a part of the Arizona Student Association, and I also um, did a lot of, like, community organizing, and that was just around, like, access to rights as people, right, so, like, uh, that's also where a lot of my identity formation um, and my politics Me being getting language around my politics happened in Arizona. Um, So a lot of language for things that I think I knew intuitively or understood, but couldn't necessarily maybe articulate very well. Um, That happened in Arizona. That happened through community organizing. And now I work for a climate justice organization. And I also have a consulting company. And at the root of all of that work, though, is people deserve to be safe. People deserve to be seen, people deserve to be autonomous and deserve to um, be affirmed. Mm -hmm. And like there are all of these things, these structures, these beliefs that exist that take those things away from people. And how do we like, how do we as individuals learn the ways that we have internalized ideas that take people's autonomy away from them? And how do we like unlearn those things that we can be? in a more accountable, more just, more loving world and community because everyone deserves to be loved and affirmed.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for sharing all that. Um, yeah, again, I was just following your chart as you were talking and really feeling your Cancer Moon when you were talking about your mom and um, an astrologer that I worked with for a while, every time, The moon was in Cancer. They would see someone's moon in Cancer, they would exclaim, Oh, the Buddha moon, right? Like this, this moon of the heart of the Buddha, like the moon in its domicile, the moon in Cancer, and in your seventh house. And with this modeling, generational modeling, and inheritance around generosity and inclusion and care. Um, And the way that it actually, you know, we started off talking about your Mercury Mars square, but that moon brings in a T-square element and imposes your Mercury and squares Mars. And it feels like, yeah, you're, um, your work feels so deeply grounded in this very practical and deeply caring uh, activism. And um, thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you. Thank you for allowing for me to share. So what about <laughs> you? What are the things that activate you? And um, I wanna ask like, how do you feel like astrology, your like specifically your practice as an astrologer um intersects with the things that activate you. Because I will say this, I want to comment that I I see, um, and this is another thing that I really appreciate about you as an astrologer, is I see the way that you do bring in the idea of like astrology is this a beautiful tool that we can use to help better understand ourselves and others. And also, how do we like engage with like the history of the symbols, the mythology, and even some of the ways that like astrology can be used as a practice to bypass having to engage with some of the larger social implications that exist? Um, I always see you like asking for folks to engage with those things and to hold that tension. So, like, how do you feel? Your work as an astrologer, your practice and activism like intersect with one another?
0: Mm, I love this question. Um, actually, very similarly in our in like an orientation, you know, that I too feel like my activism really started with my parents and with my mom. Um I am a second-generation astrologer and my mom. My mom's interest in astrology really, really deeply shaped my life. And the way that she used astrology with me um, in my early life, especially as a, a kind of older child and younger teenager, when I was exhibiting a lot of, I think what certainly would have been then if she had taken me to a psychiatrist or something and would be now, um, diagnosed as ADHD or like oppositional defiant disorder. So, you know, one of those acronyms where though I honor the chemical imbalance and nervous system components of them, I also feel like a lot of those acronym diagnoses are very reasonable responses to living in like a hellscape of a world that has a lot of trauma <laughs> embedded in, uh, all of our interconnections Mm -hmm. And so I was a kid that, um, yeah, really had a hard time, um, (laughs) staying in line, you know, and I, I was always breaking and, um, really engaging with some pretty self-destructive and dangerous behavior. And instead of pathologizing me, my mom used my chart and she had a lot of compassion I think, for what she saw in my natal chart and how she read it through her lens. And, you know, similar to what you were sharing about your mom, like my mom grew up in a very puritanical, very um, uh, conservative, Protestant, uh, uh, white New England, like waspy kind of early life. And in her 20s, made a huge break and did a lot of work in her own um, feminist studies and uh, I think though she didn't have the language for it at the time really started to chip away at her whiteness and uh, was involved in some civil rights work and like was she was doing the unwinding you know and so when I was born um, she really raised me as a feminist and she raised me uh, also to have a sense of empowerment around my bodily sovereignty and a sense of entitlement to use my voice and, um, how she used astrology with me was to affirm the parts of me that society would have pathologized. And she helped me leave school when I was 13 and, uh, get an education through unschooling. And she always really supported me creatively. Um, And so as an astrologer, you know, I feel like my inheritance with astrology is around this is a technology and this is a practice and a language that can help people not only survive, but thrive because it has a medicine in it that validates and affirms our paradoxes and idiosyncrasies. And it helps us see how we are whole, complete, healthy beings navigating Uh, context and conditions that are deeply like systemically and generationally knotted and, and tangled up with ancient and twisted karma, you know, and, and how we work through our lives, like actually shouldn't meet a status quo of consensus reality because all of us are spiritual beings and we're all participating on some level with an evolution of consciousness. And then, you know, on, on my dad's side, um, I don't have a close relationship with him at this point in my life, but he was very politicized and um, really raised me with a, uh, an instinct to question authority and to call out injustice. Um, and so I feel like that's just always been part of my worldview and like a thing that, you know, is itching under my skin because it's like, it's there. And I'm like, okay, we get, you know, there. this is a struggle. Like there's so much work to do, how are we gonna do it? And that's part of my orientation. Um, you know, and then the last thing I would say is just you and I have a Mars moon conjunction in our synastry chart, your cancer moon and my cancer Mars are very close to one another. And I feel like a lot of my activism is also about like how do people get the care that they need and how how do we like do the work of including people and working through the complexities and the discomfort and the mess of what our separation and the exclusions have done to us? Like how do we come back um, into relationship and how do we build health and relationship feels like a very deep part of my activism.
1: Yes, I yes, that resonates with me. Um, also thank you so much for sharing all of that with with us um no so much of what she said I'm just like oh my god she is um I especially love the piece about the that like we're all on like you know we're here in these you know in these body yadi 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 yadda but then we're <laughs> here um we're also having like spiritual journey simultaneously you know to evolve the collective consciousness and I really ooh, that piece yes Mm. because I I do Mm. think I think that that gets taken for granted um so often that there is that and and that there is like this very clear or not very clear but like if we take a moment to kind of step back and see like how as people we have evolved right and our and, and it has happened with um, there being thought leaders and people like thinking through and and really engaging with like what does it mean to be a person and how do we what does it mean to be a society and how do we be mm-hmm. in society with each other <laughs> all That there are folks that are engaging with that and that we make leaps and bounds um with how we have evolved as folks right as people and that that often the biggest leaps happen when we as a collective are like all on the same page with each other and we're like yes this thing is bad let's do something different right or this thing is really good this is nice let's invest more in this i also really appreciate the piece that you said about um folks getting the care that they need and then how do we um i think you know the piece that you also said about isolation and how do we come back to one another um and then how do we sustain I just want to add, like, how do we sustain, like, being with each other? Because it's hard, right? Um, You know, I am a baby abolitionist. So I'm, like, very new into my abolitionist journey. I'm also very new into, like, incorporating abolitionist ideas into my feminist framework. And I think that the hardest piece that I, like, that that I have at least seen with some of the discourse around when people are like, well, what does it mean to be an abolitionist? Or even like some of the aversion that people have when folks are talking about abolitionist ideas and you know abolishing prisons and carceral um, and punitive things is how do we be how can we maintain sustain or come back to being in relationship with one another when egregious harm has happened right Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that. The answer is, or not, the, like part of the answer is we use the same types of things that we use when like small harm has occurred with one another, right? Um, I, I would imagine that everyone who's listening, there is someone or multiple people, right? In your in our lives that we are in relationship with that like the relationship is not easy um, and that those people have probably like regularly caused harm, right? But we find ways to like you said, extend compassion to folks, figure out like, what is my boundary? What is my capacity? How can I, what are the places and spaces and ways that I can help this person grow? What are, you know, maybe I can only be in relationship with this person in these very specific contexts. Like we already, so many of us, I think already do a lot of that work. Um, I think the work maybe isn't acknowledged. And I think that sometimes the work probably is not reciprocated and that's why it doesn't make me feel um, as impactful as it is. But like a lot of us are already doing that stuff, right? Trying to figure out how do we how do we stay in relationship with one another in ways that are sustainable, safe, and healthy, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So yeah, I just wanted to say that. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, I am thinking about A couples counselor at one point that I was in this session with, you know, and they were talking to my partner and I and saying intimacy isn't built because it's just there. Like just because you love someone or just because there's fondness or there's chemistry or ease doesn't mean that there's intimacy and intimacy is built through rupture and repair and through processes of learning trust and learning about um, each other's vulnerabilities and and fragilities and like learning not just how to care for those places but also how to navigate growth inside of them Um, and you know I I feel like on that level on an interpersonal you know one lifetime meets one lifetime and of course we all contain multitudes and you know all the lifetimes but like on that level having long-term relationships with people that allow for processes of rupture and repair to happen and these spaces of discomfort where we both agree to show up and practice coming back together and like build these skills and temper ourselves right and like condition ourselves to be in intimacy which is hard but it's so rewarding and it's so generative and so that that work of the healing it's like nothing is ever gonna quote unquote like fix the harm that happens like we can't go back to when it didn't happen the scar is yeah. going to be there but if we can do that work we can build something that is really strong you know and that is vibrant and vital and um, and it might have patchwork you know like there might be places where it's there are deep lineages of, of harm and there needs to be boundaries and sensitivity and care practices for a really long time in order to come back to a place of what feels like equilibrium and natural ease or trust. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience too. Like I know that on the interpersonal level, being given the opportunity to see where I am enacting harm and to work with that, and not just to be accountable to another person, but to be accountable to myself is so liberating. Like it feels yeah. so good to do that work Once yeah. you know, like even inside of it, it, it can feel awful and excruciating to be called into it or to like approach it. But then like, once you're in it, the reward is so big because that healing is not just for the moment of the harm that happened. It's usually for a huge, you know, residue or, uh, a collection of episodes you know and memories and it's like oh when some some piece can start to heal around this particular instance then there's at least a thread of possible healing that can travel back in time to those older memories or older ways of being
1: yes and also I think that when we you know do the thing that you were just speaking to we also allow for ourselves to not continue to grow the harm, right?
0: When we realize,
1: oh, here's the way that I'm doing something to myself or to others that is harmful. And when you're called into that and you're able to address it, you prevent, you you not only, it's obviously a process, right? I think the beginning of the process is that the harm becomes less, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm aware now. So you can stop yourself before it gets to the place of like, now it's, you know, we had a blow up argument, and we said things that we can't take back now. So like it's like, oh, okay, maybe we still get to the place where we have a blow up argument, but like we stop before the argument gets bad. So we are or maybe we're in the midst of an argument, but like, I'm like, oop, it's happening. Let me stop before because I know what happened I know what happens after this part, right? And then it begins to the place where, you know, little by little, you grow awareness to where you're like, oh, we're not even arguing anymore because I know that this is a thing that exists within me. And this is what the conditions look like before I get to that place. I can begin to mitigate things before it even gets to the place of like huge repairs needing to be done, right? Now it's me, right? And that's mm. easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the maintenance, you know, still needs the maintenance has to happen. Um, the maintenance sometimes, you know, we can, we're people, and sometimes the maintenance doesn't happen as often as it needs to. And then we find and we're like, oh no, it's another now. We, you know, we find ourselves in a situation where, oh no, our repair mm-hmm. has to happen. But I think that the repair is almost never as big after the healing has happened because are aware and you're like oh I know how to I now know how to move through this because we've done it before and I know what I know what needs to be done I know how to move through this um but again it's hard it is it's because I think it's hard because we can't make people do anything right um we we can do our part and we have to trust that other people will do their part. And then I think that that's again going back to, you know, the abolition piece I think some folks are like, but what if other people don't do their part? And there's a possibility that those folks won't, right? There, there is, there's always a possibility that people won't. But there also is, I think, a greater possibility that people will. Um, and I, you know, you were talking, we were off mic too, we were talking about how there's a a space in my chart where you're like, I feel like you lean into like what's possible. And that's true. Mm. I do try to see how do we get to the place that we want to go? Mm. Um, So is it, so yes, it's hard um, because people are people and people have, there's a lot of, of, there's a a lot of us are dealing with a whole bunch of shit, right? Like stuff that's not ours. Like stuff that's not ours stuff that we inherited that like was from people that we didn't even know that like have passed down shit to us and like we're all the structural
0: you know and the yeah the yeah the the intense challenge of just getting through a day you know I I feel like I talked to so many friends clients family members etc and There are so many ways that people are wanting to heal and wanting to evolve and wanting to progress, not to mention all the creative projects and the like, life affirmation that I think we all want to do that all has to come after killing ourselves to survive in this shit, you know, in, in this structural hellscape, you know, that really bombards life. Life, you know, period, uh, with death energy,, yeah. I feel like what you're talking about in terms of this care work and this accountability work and the process of it is a kind of activism that maybe more is starting to get talked about as activism, and certainly within the the work of abolitionists, I think that this is very much a core part of it, mm-hmm. but in terms of the conversations you know you and I have been having where um you know we're both baby activists in some ways like we're both young people we're also both people who've been doing activism for our whole lives but then what is activism you know it can include so many different approaches so many different activations um and I feel like this you know, this piece that you and I are talking about has a lot to do with one of the themes that has been really important to us in designing this series, which is sustainability. And how do we create activism that not only can we continue with, but that gives us energy to continue, right? Like that doesn't burn us out and continue to take from us, but that also feeds us.
1: Absolutely. And you, as you were saying that, you know, the the work that feels like it's becoming activism that isn't named as activism, I really wanna bring in and name the importance of, my mom and I were actually having a conversation about this. So for context for folks, but you know, I love to give a context to people. Um, so for the people who are listening who don't know anything about me, um, I'm currently um, talking to Renee in California. I'm sitting At my Nana's dining room table in her kitchen. And I am in California back home. I'm from Southern California. I'm in the the process of moving to Phoenix. And so um, all of that matters because, you know, again, when Renee and I were off mic, we were talking about um, how I'm in my back home. And I'm here with my great-grandmother and my nana and my mom. It's of course, four generations of people living in a house together. And so, you know, my mom and I were having, you know, we were reflecting on the things that we just have learned from just being back home. My mom hasn't been back home, I think, for like six or seven years. And so we're just talking about like what being back with the family has been like. And one of the things that I was reflecting on was, How the idea of care has come from me being again raised by in a matriarchal family. I was raised by um, my mother, but then like with the support of the sisters, as I call them, and so you know my great grandmother, my um, my nana, and her sisters, my great aunts, all they took care of each other. They modeled as Black women, they took care of one another. They modeled, this is what you do. You take care of each other. You, um, you know, they would always check on each other. They called each other all the time. They would, you know, come to each other's houses for dinner. They supported each other emotionally. They supported, you know, each other interpersonally. They would ask each other for advice that that's like what they it was they were a community right Mm -hmm. they modeled what being in community meant for me and that is that you show up for one another you take care of each other if someone's sick you bring them something to eat to make sure that they have something to eat if someone you know you show up for people's birthdays you celebrate people's achievements you hold space for their grief right you um and even even now, as my you know my aunts are aging, they're they're you know um, very much elders now. They're still modeling that behavior with my um, with my great grandmother. My great grandmother is in late stages of dementia, and my aunts are also old too. And they're trying they're trying to care for their their you know they're really wanting to stick with this practice that they have of, like, taking care of folks, even as they are, you know, having, being, as they're aging, they're like, we could be able to take care of ourselves because we're old now. Um, And so that is the piece that I'm learning too, is, like, I appreciate the, the way that they have modeled how to be in community for me, particularly as Black women. And I also... And learning how do we learn to li- what are our limitations and when do we need to say no and when do we need to ask for help because the, on the flip side of that they have done and you know in my eyes they have been the ones who have done so much of the labor in my family um that 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 labor I think has been taken for granted it has been gendered that there are men in my family, right? Um, but they don't be doing the same shit that the women in my family be doing, um, and so I'm also trying to learn that balance of how do I, lo- how are we communal, but how are we truly communal? Where that that idea and understanding and practice of being in community is equitable and is reciprocal, and that's where that sustainability piece really is coming from and is rooted in. Is I've seen the ways that. Not only have I seen the ways I also have experienced with myself, the ways that I have burned myself out trying to be community for everyone, but that like not being reciprocated back and like how we so desperately need for everyone to do their part, right? And to do what what they can and what they have the capacity for, and also to try to build capacity because i think that that's another piece of that sometimes folks are like i don't have capacity right now but they stay there they're like they say that i don't have the capacity right now place forever um (laughs) so i'm like how do we all actually you know understand what our capacity is what our skill is what is the thing that we bring to the community um understanding the importance of that because everyone doesn't do the same thing right everyone isn't an organizer. That's okay. We need somebody. There was actually someone that was talking about how in the civil rights movement, um, they were like, everybody didn't need to be organizing. Like somebody needs to bring the snacks, right? Because like that's important. We need sustenance. We need we need a place. You know, sometimes someone's like the thing that I provide is I have the house that we can all hang out at, and we can we can make joyful memories here. We can eat. We can share a meal together. We can do. We can be in community in all of these other ways that aren't just the person who chairs the meetings. It's like who's housekeeping at it? Who got the, who can cook us food? Who you know can make us good drinks? Who can give us you know beautiful art to make so that we can have fun, right? Who who knows how to plan a fun just day where we just get to hang out and do whatever, right? So there's all of these different ways that we know how that we need um that's the community and I think that that sometimes gets lost
0: yeah that's it that's it it's reminding me of um a conversation I had the other day with Sherry Taylor who's also teaching with EA this year on Saturn and Pisces and what you just said is so it feels like such deep original like OG Saturn medicine you know and that Saturn before becoming the patriarchal Saturnian Kronos, you know, like this god of boundaries or something, um, is actually uh, the maker of civilization. And in Saturn's origin mythology and the Sumerian uh, cosmology as Enki, um, Enki has a great sense of humor and is also a community builder. And he's like, there's a place for everybody. And, you know, there's a job for you and the job that's the best one for you is the one that's the best one for you. And I feel like astrology is one way that that can get illuminated. You know, I love I love that about astro is that it's a way where we don't have to try and fit ourselves into um somebody else's box or definition of okay, this is what being an activist looks like or this is what a career needs to be or this is how you need to be as a parent or this is how you need to be as a lover or something like that. You know, astrology is like, well, you like it like this and like that and like this and like that. And, you know, you need a little touch of this and a little touch of that. And you know what? It's possible. You know, like it's possible because the world is a very creative <laughs> and like infinitely variable kind of place. There are so many options. And like you're saying, we need the snacks, we need the games, we need people to watch the kids, we need people to like brighten our moods, we need the people who want to be out there with force on the front lines, we need the people who have the voices that carry, you know, over the masses. And um, all of that is here. And also when you were talking, I was thinking about one of the class planning exercises that we've been doing together, which is talking about community agreements and, mm-hmm. um, and really incorporating that as, you know, part of how we're thinking about activism. And um, yeah, since we don't have that much time left, I'm I'm wondering um, if, if you want to talk a little bit about what some of your hopes are for this series and um as we work with aries and the aries libra axis and eclipses and community building i think and you and i both being people that honestly i th- i feel like our cancer placements were like you know the people that want to be the hosts you know it's like we're in the kitchen we got our aprons on it's like Carlin, yeah. did you make the cookies i got the pies like do you have all the drinks you know and we're like come in everybody like, yes. there's this excitement that we have to bring people in. So, yeah, what are some of um, your intentions for the series? Like, what are you excited about? What are you fantasizing about at this point some weeks before we begin?
1: Yes, on The Cancer Placement. Yes, I absolutely, like, love hosting. Um, The thing that I am really excited about is I really am hoping that this will be a space where people will be able to, to do some, like, very good reflective, like, self stuff, right? Because Aries, like, world to self. Um, and particularly because of just, like, all of the shit that we have experienced in the last, in the last, like, decade, but, like, specifically in the last, like, um four years, right? So, like, end of 2019 to now, um, you know, COVID, Donald Trump presidency, um, insurrection, just being burned out by, like, political shit in general, um, and then just this huge, like, all of this, like, grief and loss that has happened, but also, like, I want for folks to hopefully have the space to be able to have, like, um, just, like, a moment to pause and kind of just reflect, right? So one of the things that, and, and I'm saying that because 2020 was the worst also one of, I think, the best years for me personally, right? So, like, 2020 was horrible for all of the reasons, right? It was horrible because a pandemic happened, so many people lost their lives, Um, so many people are now living with, like, just, like, we're going to be living with disability because of our poor response from the global powers, right? Like, not even just in the United States, like generally our response was shit and also there was so much possibility that was like highlighted to us it demonstrated our our, it, it really showed to me our ability as people to actually be adaptive and to and to be communal and the ways that we actually can be imaginative when we have the space to do so. And that there and that's a way, that there are new ways of existing, right? Because people were freaking the fuck out and they're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And they did the thing, right? They were like, this is what we can do. This is how things can be different. Um, and I know for me, I was, I was, I re-remembered all of this stuff that you were talking about earlier that was life-giving that I just, I didn't have time to do because the demand of the society that we live in to constantly be busy and to have to hustle and all of this stuff that I had to do to survive I forgot about I forgot that I was an artist like I literally started school to go to like as a fashion design major because I'm an artist um I love to cook I started cooking again I started doing art again I just I started having fun again and so that I was only able to remember that that was like a gift in all of the like really fucked up horrible shit that happened in 2020. There was also, there were so many beautiful things that happened. I was, because we were able to slow down. I had, I think that I had a lot of really beautiful strengthening moments in my friendship in 2020 because we were, we we had time to be slow, to be reflective. Um, with one another. And that's what I want. I want to provide that. I hope that we have that space to be able to um let people reflect and see like, where are I, where am I? What's activating me? Um, what has been activated in these last, you know, couple of years, and how can I alchemize those things?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. I feel like, um, yeah, I really resonate a lot with, with those intentions. And um, I feel like I want to bring in astrology to support that. And mm, my experience with astrology, as I've already said, at least once in this conversation, you know, is that it can really meet us where we are. And I think that with this need to have sustained activism right like not a huge burst of activity when another episode of awful has happened right where all of a sudden it's like social media is on fire and there's a big wave of donations or something like that it's but what what is the day-to-day groundwork life rhythm family building world rebuilding, reimagining activism that becomes not something that we do outside of our normal lives, but becomes like what we do in our lives, just embedded in the fabric of how we're living. and how do we bring that into our families and into our workplaces and into our our dreaming practices and um, really think about it as a foundational element of what supports and sustains us rather than something that we have to make time for or something like that, which isn't to say that there isn't a need for probably everyone in the category of people who isn't doing this every day. So I'm not talking about single parents, not talking about care workers, not talking about people who are just like surviving in the, you know, layers of intersection and marginalization. I'm talking about people that, you know, really feel like okay on Thursdays, I'm going to go volunteer or something. And it's like, that's my spot. And yeah, I do think there's a need for folks who have enough comfort to really like prioritize and schedule and make things happen to activate. And it has to be more than that. Like it it has to be a conceptual shift and a relational shift and like an energetic and a vibe shift yeah. Um so I'm really interested in using astrology to, to feel into that because as we've been talking about you know in our class planning and series planning we're we're working with a lot of deep archetypal energies you know Mars and Venus as the rulers of Aries and Libra and these are fundamentally primordial energies of attraction and aversion like how do we move our energy out into space to affect things and how do we um be what, what is attractive to us, like what is nourishing and sweet and sustaining and gets us excited and turned on. Like those things have to be present in our activism. Otherwise it's just a blip. It's like one drop in the ocean and you know that one phone call that you make when you can find the time for it, you know, doesn't amount to that much. But when it is grounded as what's sustaining, what's interesting, what's motivating, and what can be realized across the board then maybe we get somewhere, like we get to this systemic shift.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I really appreciate you bringing in the piece of like, of clarifying who the the shift in thought needs to happen for. And then also I want to add like, if you're, if we, so like, I'll, you know, use myself as an example. A lot of the reflection that I know that I've been able to have is, due to, like, I have a specific class that is, I have, I work a specific kind of job, so I'm able to engage with stuff more because I'm not always in survival mode, right? Like, there are ways, there's space for me to, like, breathe and not be, like, oh, I'm being ground down by capitalism. And so going back to that piece of communal understanding, I think that it's important for, like, more of us right the folks who have a moment to breathe um and to think through these things should be thinking about like who are the people that we are in like direct community with that we can that we can like provide some of that breathing space for right so maybe if you know someone who's a single parent can you like maybe one day maybe like if you have some extra time can you like babysit can you or like can you like just be sit with that that single parent and like take them out for lunch, take them out for dinner, or like cook a meal at your house or something, right? So like help in sharing um, some of that labor um, with folks as a way to like help ease, right? We can obviously because like, we're you know we can't we can't undo a lot of it you know immediately, but there are absolutely ways that we can help ease some of that um that grind that then it creates some of that space for folks um to be able to also have that place where they're where they're able to process and then um think about some of the stuff that we that some of us uh, who have more time and leisure can engage with. So like how do we, I think the one that's one of the things that I oftentimes have been engaging with is like how do I create that space? For other people.
0: Mm, thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate you bringing that in. And yeah, that feels, that feels like a clarification and a deepening of um, what I was saying before about these different archetypal energies and modes into activism. And I was realizing as you we were talking that even when I was speaking, the way that I was orienting energetically to activism was as being um, projecting and like doing a thing that felt like it was about an external motion and uh, maybe something that was defiant or like that had more of a Mars energy. And what you were just bringing in felt very Venusian and lunar. And, you know, that you're talking about um, really what is, you know, what is sustaining. And to loop back to our earlier, um, earlier point in our discussion, that the work of loving and intimacy and doing the repair work is such a deep activism. And that in whatever we might be able to do for one another, you know, like if we have the time to cook someone a meal or care for someone or uh, engage ourselves in some way so that their life has more ease, that's also healing like that's also an avenue for connection and intimacy and more joy you know on on both ends um which then contributes to the soup right like the soup that we're making together so thank you for bringing that in Mm. yes
1: absolutely Oh,
0: sorry. <laughs> no, you go ahead. You start. I was
1: just gonna say that this has been thank you for providing this space for us to have um, this generative conversation.
0: It's a pleasure. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing our conversations. And for those who are interested in this series that Carlin and I are offering, it begins on March 24th. First, which is a Tuesday, and we run for five Tuesdays in a row. Tuesdays are Mars Mars's day. Um, this is a series where we're really going to investigate Aries uh, as we're beginning and moving through the series in Aries season. And we begin and end with Aries new moons: one on the very first degree of Aries, one on the very last degree of Aries, and that very last degree of Aries is also the first solar eclipse in the Aries Libre Eclipses that will take us through 2025. And um, yeah, as we work through an Aries landscape, we're gonna be talking about really the whole Zodiac with a special emphasis on the Cardinal Cross. And we'll be talking about all the planets, but we're really diving into of course, Mars and Venus. And we'll be working with Saturn and the moon and Jupiter and Chiron and Eris and Vesta and Mercury who are all gonna be in Aries too. Um, and yeah, I know that even just the, the class planning and the conversations that we've been having have been so stimulating for me. And I've really been turning a lot of wheels in my head around my own activism. So I'm very excited for what I think could come from this series.
1: Me too. I'm super excited. Um, yeah, I can't wait to, do the classes and for all the folks who are listening in the future and in the future from the future, I hope that you enjoy the class with us.
0: Yes. Um, Carlin's information is in the show notes. Do you want to say a really quick couple of words before we end about High Priestess Consulting and what you offer outside of uh, this conversation in our series?
1: Yes. um, So um, besides being a baddie astrologer, I also have my own consulting company. It is the High Priestess Consulting Company. I do diversity, equity, inclusion work. Or I, as another thing, I like to call myself. Um, shout out to Trek for helping me discover this language and anti. I'm an anti-oppression facilitator. So if you need workshops, um, if you need someone to facilitate a conversation. Um, I do webinars, you can hire me as a speaker, you can hire me as a planner, Um, I do all the things. So yes, that's what I I do, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I would, if you have questions, um, we can drop my email in the show notes, send me an email. Um, I'd love to chat with you. Yay,
0: and Carlin is amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm looking forward to talking to you soon.
1: Talk to you later.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Embodied Astrology. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and networks. Leave us an affirmative review on your favorite listening platforms and consider making a one-time or recurring donation to support future productions. You can find more guest episodes at embodiedastrology.com in the listen section or wherever you stream your podcasts. Stay tuned in with the earth, skies, and planets by becoming a member of Embodied Astrology. Our membership tiers include access to monthly Embodied Astrology readings for your sun, rising sign, weekly moon day movement classes in the Embodied Astrology somatic space, and a sweet supportive virtual community where you're encouraged to explore your chart through the lens of your own embodied experience. You can find more information in the show notes or at embodiedastrology.com forward slash join.